Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just because you keep talking like Yoda doesn't make me change my opinion. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the Speedster, whose article series takes you from 60 to 100. It's Matt Morgan. Started a business where all I do is weigh tiny objects. It's a pretty small scale operation. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, you know, small scales remind me of the uh, the art on the card stasis. So I don't think that I like your business very much because it seems like it's not going to let me untap. I don't like your accusations, Joseph. I don't appreciate <laughs> them at all. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Um, you'll have to give me a second here, Joey. I'm checking the Watsi website for Secret Lair, Stuff Dana Needs in Foil, featuring <laughs> Mystic Remora, Nature's Lore, and Concordant Crossroads, and I can't seem to find it, so I'm guessing that must be for sale tomorrow. I'll just check back tomorrow. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed for you, Dana, sincerely. And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we like to give all that data a little more context. What is our topic this week, fellas? Bar chart races. That is right. Folks, if you are listening to the audio version of this episode, I promise you are going to want to actually tune into the video version of this episode instead. Because we've got some video content that we want to share with you. So Nate Burgess at Mr. Plurg on Twitter has put together some visual animations of data that EDHREC has accumulated over time. So we have a bunch of different visual representations of us accumulating a bunch of data and seeing the most popular commanders and watching them grow and also confining the limits of the data that we're looking at to just specific time slot windows. So that is what we wanted to show you today. Those pieces of video will be in this actual video version on YouTube of our podcast. We don't usually have video stuff, but we did want to provide it to you guys here because it is really fascinating stuff to watch. But before we can get to that part of the episode, I want to ask if you guys have had any fun games recently, picked up any new cards, how if your commander week's been my commander week was full of turkey and stuffing and so many desserts you can't even shake a fist at and (laughs) unlike joey my family does not play magic so i was shunned and had to to watch football darn i actually like football and the cowboys lost so it was a good time 
Wow. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is kind of a loaded question. During this holiday season, it's kind of tricky for me to ask, hey, how how many games of Commander did you play? Because it is family time for a lot of people. And my entire family does play, so that is really great. Uh, but not everyone does, so that is kind of sad. But hey, Matt, you'll really enjoy this, because speaking of my family playing, I did get the chance to play with my family over the holiday season. And my mother pulled an amazing trick on me that I think you'll super appreciate, because it... To say that it shut me down is putting it lightly. We had an absolutely monstrously long game going on. I was playing my Virtus and Gorm deck, which, as a reminder, are the folks that uh, cut people's lives in half, which is really great. Um, and my mom is on this Dragonlord Ojitai deck that is a Voltron control. Um, and it's been a slog of a game full to the brim of board wipe after board wipe after board wipe. So every time that we've been trying to stick our commanders in play, they get removed. And so the game has just been going on over and over again. And we've all wound up with a lot of mana and a lot of cards in our hand because we just haven't been able to get our actual engines online with our commanders being able to stay in play. Um, so eventually, when I feel like I've got a good opening, I cast the card Skullstorm, which as a reminder is this nine mana black sorcery that copies itself for every time that you've cast your commander from the commands on this game. Since I have partner commanders, Veersters and Gorm, it will count each of them, and I get six copies of this card Skullstorm, which cuts people's lives in half unless they sacrifice a creature. So it's a really awesome game ending spells. Getting seven copies of that, cutting people's lives in half, almost no matter where they're at, that's going to be devastating lethal. I was so excited to land this and really put a huge dent in this game that I haven't been impactful in. And then my mother proceeds to play four different counter spells, countering different copies of each of those school storms to make sure that it isn't lethal after all. It was devastating. Good. Well, and I think I think the salt in the wound there, Joey, was one of those counter spells was a cancel. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, like she's yes it was. she's just she's just ruining your play with just garbage counter spells just to just to spite her own son. <laughs> Look, I know that you don't like the card cancel very much, and fair enough. It is a very there are better versions of cancel, but l- let me put it this way: she's running a bunch of the counter spells. She's she got a lot of them. Well, she doesn't need the better versions. She can beat you with the with the <laughs> poor man's version. With the Dollar General counterspell, and she still managed to take you out. Look, do you want to tell? Uh, do you want respect. to try telling telling your I, mama not to play this particular? Like, oh, mom, there's actually better counterspells than this particular one. Like, what is she going to do? She's going to attack you for sixteen. That's what yeah, she's going to no, do. If you try I'm, to I'm tell not going to well actually buy my mama book counterspells, not at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was an absolutely devastating play, and I only like got like three copies of the Skullstorm, which just means that people sacrificed a couple of creatures and one person lost half their life, and it was just like, no, but I was going to do so much good in the game and I just uh, like I oh man it was just it was so so deeply deeply sad for me but I just wanted to share that with you Matt because uh, I I know that you like it when I get trounced like that I do appreciate that somebody befuddled you in such a way and it's just even better that it was it was your own mom (laughs) it was so bad Dana any fun stories from you I I had kind of a feel bad play last night um I had a Vidalcan Ori out of my Glissa deck and I had Revel and Riches in play. And my plan was do before end of turn flash in a board wipe to get the 10 treasure tokens. Then it flips over to my turn and I win the game. A player went to remove my Vidalcan Ori, which would have stopped that plan from happening. And the other three players were having this conversation like, okay, has heroic interventions gone? Because I burned it a turn earlier saving the Vidalcan Ori because I was going to do this. So they had this conversation, okay, well, heroic intervention's gone, so he can't stop it, so somebody removed the Ori. A player went to remove it, and in order to save it, I had to flash the Demonic Tutor in, because Ori's in play, to go get 
a Yawgmas Will from my library, <laughs> which I then cast to recast a heroic intervention to save the the Ori. And everyone's like, oh, come on, seriously? And then pass the turn to the player before me, who then killed my Vidalcan Ori. <laughs> uh, so it happened anyway. <laughs> it happened anyway, and I had to blow a Yawgmas Will and a Demonic Tutor to get there. So yeah, that did not feel, I mean, I deserved it, like, absolutely. (laughs) But yeah, that didn't feel good. That was a lot of resources I blew trying to save that that Orion all for naught. All for naught. You were not able to use Revel and Riches to Scrooge McDuck your way to victory. I was was not able to do that. Oh, man. Uh, So there's one more thing that I'd like to share before we move on to our main topic. And that is within this past week, uh, I made a guest appearance on the show Commander Ad Populum. So folks may know the podcast uh, Commander Cookout, which is run by Ryan and Brando. They do a really awesome job talking about really fun decks. Right now they're going through a series of uh, decks that they've seen at what they call EDH and M, uh, which is their uh, main place that they play within and so seeing different decks there they go over some really awesome content but ryan also has a separate uh, podcast called uh commander ad populum and he likes to talk about some stuff um that's sort of i guess what i would call is like paratextual or sort of that surrounds the game of magic and the lives that people lead and the way that magic sort of influences uh those lives too and so i was able to put in a short guest appearance on that talking about the fact that my entire family uh, plays magic which is really great so part one of that just came out this past week part two will be up within the next week and this is also a good time to mention that dana max from your other show cmdr central was also previously on that commander ad populum cast as well he was just on there yeah i think two weeks ago um, and, and I know there's a lot of podcasts out there and it's tough to to give your your ear holes over to too many of them, aside from the two that I'm on. Um, <laughs> but I, I really would recommend checking out Cat Ad Pop, Ryan's Ryan's show. Um, it's relatively short. The episodes are usually between 20 and 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it is much different than most of the commander shows out there because he is talking to people like Joey about not about like only tangentially related things to magic. So like you are talking magic, but you're not talking about like what my favorite card is for the most part. You're talking about things in your life that are kind of related to magic. And that makes it kind of a unique niche, I think, in the podcasting scene. Um, You get to hear really cool stories and things from people that you aren't going to get anywhere else. So check it out. You did a really nice job on there, Joey. Oh, thank you. I I like that you're saying that before part two has come out. So you're you're evaluating (laughs) half of my performance. But also, like, uh, Max did a really great job on it, too. And it's great because they do discuss some really important topics, such as uh, Max was talking about burnout. Not just like, ooh, here are the cards I like playing, but, you know, experiencing burnout with the things that you love. Or he's had some other folks that talk about addiction and how magic might be um, something that helps them or sometimes something that becomes your own worst enemy when there are problems with addiction. Uh, he's had Lorelai Weisselon from the Vorthos cast uh, to talk about representation within the game. So it was really fun to be a part of that. I really enjoy the work that Ryan is doing there. It's a really great thing that people should definitely check out because uh, it's really cool work. And so that is at uh, CAD Popcast on Twitter. And you can find the Commander Ad Populum show. It's really cool content. Ryan, really appreciated you having me on the show. People should definitely go check that out. It's really fun stuff for the holiday season. And now I think we're going to move <laughs> into the thing that people have really been waiting for. And that's looking at this visualized version of data that EDHREC has been accumulating for the past several years. So once again, these were created by Nate Burgess. Again, that's at Mr. Plorg on Twitter, who does some programming stuff on EDHREC. And he put together some really cool visual animations of data that we've accumulated over time. And for the folks that are only going to be listening on uh, this particular cast, and they won't be able to view it just yet, um, we do want to try and describe a little bit about what these particular bar charts will look like. First of all, one of the first things that they look like is almost like a jockey racehorse situation, because a lot of it's moving very quickly as we're measuring the data every week and seeing where 
where uh, new decks are being built. Um, so the links to all of these will be in the show notes. You can definitely check them out. This is really one of the episodes that you'll want to watch on video, but if you can just take a look at the uh, links in the description, that will also be a great way to find those things there. Generally speaking, these bar charts sort of look like about 10 to maybe 20 bars stretching from left to right. So they stretch farther to the right, the more popular commanders are and the more decks that we have in the database from that time. Like I said, they do measure the data from every week. And so you get a nice transition to see how commanders are shifting around up and down this chart and how far the bars are growing and shrinking. Each bar is also colored based on their release date. For example, all commanders released from the set Commander 2016 are going to be the same color bar. All commanders from the set Ixalan are going to be the same color bar. So that can sort of help you keep track of the different commanders and their popularity there. And also extremely helpfully, a timestamp for the data is provided. So it is measured every week and we can watch the bar slide up and down as commanders get more popular each week. And to help out, there's also a small gray box that signifies not just the date that the cards were measured, but also what the most recent set release was at that date as well. So you can see if one commander is becoming more popular during a certain time frame. And that's really interesting stuff. We will have the full list of all of the uh, the flourishes, all of the bar chart races in the description. But for now, let's get to our first one. We're going to be looking at just three, although we do have a few more within the description that you can check out. But we're just going to be talking about three specific. And that is the bar chart race that we've got here for the top commanders of all time, the top commanders within a six-month time period, and the top commanders within a one-month time period. Because using these different lenses can be an interesting way to measure data and see what different things we can find out. Using those different lenses is a great way to sort of see what's going on within Commander. So let's first talk about the top commanders of all time. Are you guys ready? Let's do it. I'm very ready. And, and I would just encourage everybody, these these are incredibly interesting just to watch the evolution of the format happen. So I know this is an audio format, the podcast strongly, strongly recommend everybody going to at least open these up. Obviously not while you're driving, if you're a podcast while you're driving, but go over to YouTube when you guys have a second, <laughs> check them out. It The charts are, they're incredibly interesting. I It's it's so cool. You just see so many things happening that it takes a little bit to digest. We're going to do our best, but man, the, the if you're a visual learner, this is a treat. Yeah, I will try and describe them as much as I can for the folks that are listening, but it is definitely a treat to see. So let's get started with our first one here, the top commanders of all time. And they're off. We begin 2014 with Oloro in the top spot, followed by Prosh and Kerador. But gaining on him is Narset Enlightened Master from Cons of Tarkir, who manages to overtake Oloro, but just for a second before slipping back down, she and Marchese the Black Rose jostle for second place as Oloro takes a significant lead with over 300 decks to his name, his best buddies Nikusar and Prosh from C13 jockeying into position closely behind. Things stay this way with steady numbers all through Modern Masters 2015 and Magic Origins and even through to 2015's Battle for Zendikar with Oloro steadily climbing to 600 decks. But then we see the release of Commander 2015. And who is this rising in the ranks but Marin of Clan Neltoth. She overtakes Melek and Brago. She steadily passes by Alesha and Gabe. She's fighting her way into the top, ladies and gentlemen. Even Omnath, Locus of Rage, begins to slide into view in 2016. Marin is fighting her way. She is now in second place with 
800, 900. She's moving up to 1,000 decks. Can she take the number one spot? When out of nowhere, what an upset. Ladies and gentlemen, a Trax operator's voice instantly slams into high gear in 2016 and smoothly sails by Marin and Olero. Other commanders from C16 join the fray and we see Brea and Yidris claw their way to fame. Marin has indeed beaten Olero, but it is too little too late. She is now fighting for second place with Brea Ethereum Shaper. None can hold a candle to a Trax's dominance. A gap of over 1,000 deck separates her and second place. We are now in the dead heat of 2017 with Ixalan, rivals of Ixalan, and positions are refusing to move. We have some minor action with a DC Brood Tyrant shifting around the top 20 range, but the top 10 have settled into their roles. Only Omnath and Alesha seem to be fighting for 10th place. As we enter the time frame of Commander 2018, we don't see too much action just yet. Queen Marchesa eventually replaces Tassiger at the bottom of our bracket and makes a valiant climb into 2019, but it is not really until June that we see any new developments take place. When Edgar Markov eventually fights his way into view and proudly climbs to seventh place, but as we round the corner to end 2019, the winners are clear, folks. Atraxa, Marin, Brea, Olero, and Nikosar are holding their places in the top five. Atraxa with over 7,000 decks to her name, Marin with 4,800, Brea at 45, Olero at 42, and Nikosar just shy of 38. Whew, that was a lot. Yes, it was. Uh, that's a lot of action there. That was quite the horse race. <laughs> I'm impressed. In, indeed. But man, is Atraxa blowing everyone out of the water when we look at all the data from all time. Atraxa, at the current moment, we're measuring at 7,121 decks. The next runner-up is Marin of Glen Altoth at 4,839, followed by Brea and Olero, also within the 4,000s. But, like, Atraxa, 7,000 compared to the 4,000s. And then, like, what? We've got Nikosar and Kalia, which are within, like, the mid-3,000s or so. Atraxa is twice as popular as most of the other high up there commanders. The top five is absolutely crazy, but Atraxa is just blowing everyone out of the water. Yeah, like at some point I've seen a bar chart of Serena Williams versus every other woman's tennis player ever. And it's like the same kind of spread where she's just that much further ahead than anybody else. That's what it looks like. Atraxa is the Serena Williams of commanders. Atraxa Williams. What's amazing, too, is that Atraxa's rise to fame and power took place over, what, two months? Like Immediately. She came, she came out of nowhere. Just yeah. like suddenly, like we were watching this amazing race between Olero and Marin. Olero maintained a bunch of early dominance for a long time, and Marin was inching her way up to maybe overtake Olero and take the number one spot, which, yes, green, black for life. And then Atraxa's just like, bam, get out of my way. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's crazy just how quickly and how dominant Atraxa was when Atraxa was first released. It's 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 hard to really comprehend it. And another reason why just the visual representation of seeing it just literally come out of nowhere <laughs> and almost immediately shoot to the to the top spot. It's it's crazy how quickly and how popular Atraxa got. And well, to put it into some context here, like <clears throat> We could not add a single Atraxa deck to the list for the next calendar year, and I'm not sure the next de the next commander would catch Atraxa still. That's that's really the thing. I think that this is a great way to sort of represent, um, you know, one of the reasons that Ediadrek moved to the two year time frame um, is because we wanted to provide you know more current recommendations to people to find the things that people are building nowadays as opposed to the data that might be a little bit old if it was you know a deck that was built 
you know, six years ago, that might not necessarily be the same way that people are building decks today because things do change up. We wanted to do that, but also, you know, it does kind of show you that like having this degree of information, it does kind of restrict some of the stuff that we're able to see when you look at something like this and you see that Atraxa is so uncontested, but then you compare that to the two-year time frame that we have now, where we're actually seeing Muldrotha having higher numbers than Atraxa, that's quite interesting, and you can see that there is something different going on with the level of the scope that you use, whether you're zooming all the way out or you're zooming into a specific time frame. That is definitely an interesting contrast, and it can give you different recommendations when you're looking at it. Right. Uh, one thing that really jumps out at me here is the top seven commanders here are all precon commanders. That's especially one of the things that I find absolutely fascinating. We've got a bunch of precon commanders here Atraxa, Marin, Brea, Olero, Nikusar, Kalia, Edgar. Markov, it's not until Muldrotha of the Gravetide that we finally get one from an actual regular standard release set, but even then, after that, we get things like Yidris and Animar. There's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, we've got a lot of precon dominance for sure. Yeah, it, it's crazy, and, and it just shows, you know, back when those were first created, there wasn't a ton of competition. If you look at, you know, the past six months and some more recent data, it's a lot more competitive versus just the 7,000 that Atraxa has. It makes me wonder, you know, if the four-color commanders were released today as opposed to several years ago when the, I think the commander product and, and commanders in regular sets were a little less refined, I wonder if they would be near as popular. Yeah, it's you do see a lot of relative stability. There's almost like this impregnability of the established popular commanders for a long time on this list. It's only Edgar Markov that makes a rise to any degree of prominence. Aside from that, the majority of the list throughout the, the much of this particular data spread sort of stays exactly where it's at with a few things changing near the bottom. It's really only Edgar that makes a rise up. Why do you think that, guys, that, that might be? Yeah, especially, you know, this many years after it came out, I, I was racking my brain for answers um as a three color commander the mana base did get a little bit easier now that we've got the enemy color signets and we just got arcane signet as well but i mean i i just i can't believe like an easier mana base is a reason that popped up in the list so i i just do not even have a, a theory I, I do have a theory. I think that it's got to be related to Modern Horizons. So yeah, there were like the talismans that came out in Modern Horizons, but that's also where we saw a resurfacing of things like Changeling uh, in Modern Horizons as well. So we technically got more vampires and also sure. some interesting things like Cordial Vampire came out around that time. So it would give a, a little bit of a boost uh, to that particular tribe. It's a small boost, but that's the only thing that I can think of that might you know increase its numbers to this particular degree of prominence. He goes up by like a thousand X over the, por over the course of, uh, since June of 2019, he suddenly is moving all the way up uh, within the ranks, which is definitely pretty darn crazy. But a piece of me wonders if it's not necessarily just set related, but maybe potentially a response uh, to other stuff that's going on within the commanders at Geist at the time too, if it's sort of a, uh, a backlash, or, or I guess that's not necessarily the correct term, but if it's a way that people are responding to find a more aggressive deck compared to some of the other slower decks that they might be encountering at that time. That's another potential theory. I think that Modern Horizons is necessarily the time frame though. Um, so that's my, my main theory, but who knows? There's a lot of crazy stuff happening for sure. I think that does kind of make sense because one other commander that kind of pops onto the list here in the last year-ish is Zur the Enchanter. And Modern Horizons did give us one more variant on, on Astral Slide. Astral Shift? Astral Slide? I can't remember which, which was the original, which one is the uh, Slide new version. was the original, yeah. Slide's the OG? Okay. Um, and that's like a very common way to, to build that Zur list. So, you know, we've had cycling in the last 
couple years make a big comeback in standard and add a lot more cards to the pool. And now we just got that that additional um, new version of Astral Slide. So yeah, Modern Horizons, I think, has definitely tweaked this list. It would make sense if it did it for Edgar, because I'm pretty sure that's why Zuri is now showing up. Yeah, I think it's interesting, too, that, that Tasker kind of makes a late push, too, kind of towards 2018 into 2019. Yep. Tasker's been around for a long time, but then just slowly creeps his way into some of the top lists. It's it's interesting because some of the... I, I can't think of anything that would have pushed Tasker over the edge, especially when you consider, you know, Moldrotha and Yarok both were printed between 2018 and 2019 as well. So there's just more competition in that soul type color combination. So whether it's people finding, you know, more combo builds, stuff that synergizes with Tasker, but it, it's it's kind of weird to see Tasker making a, a late push as well. All right, any other observations jumping out at you from the top commander uh, data races? I think especially towards the end, one thing worth noting is that a majority of the action happens kind of towards the bottom half of the chart. You know, a bunch, a bunch of commanders are kind of exchanging, jostling for position. But once you hit about 2018, it kind of settles, except for a few people that jump out. When the numbers get so high, it takes a ton of decks, a great number of decks to actually push a commander into this stratosphere. So that's another reason why we kind of went to that two-year cutoff is because there's just the, the sheer density. It's going to take literal years for some of these commanders that are printed today to catch up to where some of these other commanders are, you know, at, at this moment. So like Dana said, Atraxa could never have another deck for a year and still would probably be safely in number one. That's not really fair to compare what's going on recently. So yes, there's a, a lot of really good information from this all-time list, but man, you, you don't see anything really recent because just of the sheer number of builds, it takes so many to catch up to where a lot of these commanders are today. Yeah, very much. And that's a really important thing, too. We're looking at the top popularity. But, you know, if we were to shift our lens down just a little bit and observe some of the stuff that's happening, you know, farther down that list, the cards that are more middling popularity, we'd see a lot of volatil volatility. <laughs> I can't say that word. I would see a lot of volatility there, too. Um, so it is interesting, not only the scope of time that we use on our lens, but also spatially where we're putting it when we measure popularity here, too, because the most popular commanders don't tell you the entire story. And that's why we wanted to put a different set of scopes on it so that people could see it from all of these different ways. So up next, we're going to take a look at the top commanders within a six-month period. How exactly does that break down, Matt? So this is basically, if you look at the graph, it'll show you a date in the bottom right-hand corner. And what they're measuring is any six months leading up to that specific date. So say you're looking at April of 2016. So you're going to be looking at basically January to April, and then you're also looking at November and December of the previous year. So any six months leading up to any given date, that is only what we're looking at. We're only looking at decks created within a six-month window leading up to that specific date. Yeah, it's going to be sliding uh, sort of that time slot. It's going to be sliding around. So it definitely will be a different lens than measuring throughout all time going forward, sort of using the past to catch up with it. Let's get ready for the races. On your mark. Get set. Go! Ulro, Narzad, Prosh, Nikusar, and Original Marteza start us off in 2014 with a steady 200 to 250 decks on average. It is not until the middle of 2015 that we see an upset with Fate Reforged and particularly Modern Masters 2015 when Sidisi and Alesha slam into the top five with full force. 
Magic Origins and Battle for Zendikar feature Prosh, Carador, Narset, and are all swapping the 3rd to 8th positions, but it is the Commander 2015 set that gives us Marin of Clan Eltoth, who jumps her way right on up to the top. She and Omnath, Locus of Rage, overtake Ulero, and even Simic Azuri joins the top three. But after a fashion, the C-13 commanders are here to reclaim their territory and take back second and third place. We enter 2016 season with Kaladesh and Conspiracy. But, ladies and gents, we all know what is happening here at the end of 2016. It is going to be a Traxa who flies into first place. Note here that we've moved from the range of 300 and 400 decks to the thousands of decks on average. Traxa jumps up to 1600 decks in no time flat, and this isn't just her popularity, but also EDHREC gaining access to data from many fabulous deck-building websites around town. Make no mistake, though, Traxa and the whole crowd of C16 are dominating this page. Eventually, all five of the four-color commanders are at the top of the heap. Um, Almonkett block in 2017 does not have an immediate impact, but by the time we get to Ixalan, Hapatra rises up, followed by the Scarab and Locust Gods, who shine bright but briefly. Commander 2017 gives us Edgar Markov, who starts 2018 with a bang, unseating on Trax's dominant popularity. Tribal decks are all the rage in the wake of Ixalan, Gishoth pops up, but the Commander 2017 crowd, like Ramos and Kess, certainly have fun in fifth place. At last, we have a 2018, and it is Dominaria that makes a huge splash. Muldrotha seizes first place, and Joda is hot on her tail. They lead the way into Battlebond, where Najila also forces her way into view, but it is short-lived. Corset 2019 pops Arcades into view, but he falls just as quickly. It is now that Commander 2018's Planeswalkers, Lord Windgrace, and Amino 2, and Yuriko even peeks up their heads. But this is when we hit War of the Spark season, and Tasa Karlov puts up a respectable showing in third place. But it is Feather the Redeemed who climbs these commanders like stairs and heads straight to the top. She overtakes Muldrotha just as the Core 2020 set releases Golos, Yarak, and Kaikar from their cages, who then force their way into the status as the big three. We end with Golos at 1500x, Yarak at 1300, Kaikar at 1200, Muldrotha at 1100, and Yuriko in the thousands. And what a photo finish. <laughs> so what are some things that you guys observe, especially when comparing, you know, the previous data uh, that we were looking at from the all time and comparing it now when we're only looking at a sliding scale window of a six month time period? What are some things that jump out to you here? The, the spikes and peaks and valleys level off really quickly in the timeline here, which probably kind of indicates to me people are relatively consistent during these six-month windows. People are generally building the same commanders, um, and then they lose interest kind of simultaneously as well. So, like, you see much more gentle changes in positioning on that curve than we saw on the all-time list where you, you get – a much larger amount of data, I think, in these small six-month windows, everyone's kind of looking at commanders the same way for the most part. Yeah, I, I, it's it's interesting to see, too, there's kind of phases. There's a changing of guard every now and then. You have a Loro for a while who sticks around as most built, Alicia who smiles at death, tries to make a run, Narset, but then it's not until it really attracts a... I mean, even when Marin makes you know a, a good run for one of the most played commanders, it's not until Atraxa where Atraxa just comes out of nowhere really throws her weight around. But then it's also funny, too, because Muldrotha does the exact same thing to uh, Loro and Atraxa and all those that Atraxa did to everyone else. You know, Marin comes out of nowhere, takes a good lead. It's funny that, you know, just there's these massive changes where a commander shoots out of nowhere and just really establishes dominance as kind of the commander for the time period. 
That's especially one of the things that jumps out to me so much on this particular list is that you actually do get to see the popularity of commanders when we measure it within this particular time window. We get to see people overtake Atraxa in terms of popularity within those six-month time periods. Edgar Markov actually unseats Atraxa for a short time in 2018, which makes me doubt the previous assertion that I just made earlier when we were looking at the all-time graph about maybe Modern Horizons having been one of the reasons that Edgar was able to you know, climb up in popularity. Popularity. That's actually something that we saw might have even been happening back in 2018. And then Muldrotha and even Tesa Karlov, and finally in late 2019, Kaikar, Yarak, and Golos are also able to unseat Atraxa in terms of their uh, dominance of popularity there too. So there are those tiny moments where Atraxa is being unseated, never going away, still being pretty consistent. Slow and steady still wins that race. But it is definitely something that you can see that, you know, sometimes the zeitgeist is moving along so that you get to see commanders that are more popular popular necessarily than just the one that is technically holding the number one spot in terms of sheer numbers. Sometimes these commanders are actually building themselves up within a shorter time window. We are seeing a lot more dominance within those smaller time periods. I think one thing you really see a lot of here as well is you see these really strong new commanders get released and spike up and get built really heavily over the course of like a six month window. And then once people realize they're fairly linear, they then fall back down off the list. Uh, Narset explodes when she's released and then uh, falls off pretty quickly. Getrog Monster explodes upon release and then falls off pretty quickly. Um, I think people definitely do like strong commanders and they want to play effective, strong decks, but I, it seems like people then lose interest pretty quickly if the deck is doing one thing really, really consistently and winning the same way every time. I think that's super accurate. We've noted before that diversity definitely is one of the things that can lead a commander to popularity, but that's especially true for the heavy hitters that we see dominating the top spots. Olero and Marin, for example, are very open-ended. And, and actually, that's something that I kind of want to remark upon here. When we looked at the all-time window, we never saw Marin quite eclipse Olero as the number one spot because then Atraxa, boom, went all the way to the top. And eventually later on, Marin does show up with some higher numbers than Olero in the previous list that we saw, the previous data set. But within this six-month window uh, data set that we're looking at, we actually can see in 2016 that Marin was becoming a lot more popular than Olero. And in fact, Azuri Claw of Progress even made himself more popular than Olero uh, around that 2016, about June or July sort of period. Um, so if we had been measuring within a shorter time span at that time, we would have seen Marin uh, becoming more popular. But the way that it was actually set up to measure from all time, we never quite saw her eclipse that popularity. So that's just one of those things to always try and keep in mind when you're measuring from all time versus measuring within a specific, uh, a more specific set of months or so, then you actually do get to see commanders that are you know, more popular. When you shift the timeline on your data, things move around quite a lot and that can reveal interesting new truths. Matt, anything else standing out to you about this particular version of the data? I think this is probably the best way to kind of look at kind of a snapshot. If you put every commander player in a room at one time, this chart to me is kind of the best way to kind of get a glimpse of what everybody's playing in the room. It's, it's not historical data. It's not looking at old decks that nobody's touched in years. It's looking at stuff that people are building recently, have had time to kind of refine, make their own, etc. So... If you look at you know the most recent one, you have a lot of 2019 commanders, but you still have a couple you know heavy hitters that have shown some staying power uh, to, to stick around. And these you know more short-term charts compared to the flashlight pan commanders that only stick around for a little bit. So I I like that you can kind of see 
the metagame at large kind of evolving as this chart goes along and, and, and flourishes a little bit. I love that observation. That's definitely a good way to say it. And I think that that's an important thing, too. Like, we can look at the top commanders of all time and measure their popularity, and it's an interesting race. But that may not necessarily be representative of what the average player is going to see when they go to uh, a commander game store or when they play Commander Knight at their own uh, friendly tables. You know, yeah. this particular window actually does seem more representative of the commanders that either, either I have built myself or that I have seen my friends build. Exactly. Yeah. If, if you go to a magic fest or you go to a command fest and you sit down that this six month window is probably going to be the most accurate tool for predicting, you know, okay, what am I going to see out in the wild as it were? Yeah, you see the Eurekos, you see the Lord Windgraces, you see the Edgar Markovs, you see the Feathers, you see uh, the Kest Dissident Mage, you see the Morophon, you see the Golos and the Yarok. Like that's the stuff that we're revealing here on this particular version. Yeah, if Joey handed me this list, said this was a list of the commanders he played against at Command Fest Seattle, I'd be like, oh yeah, that makes sense. This is exactly what that list would be. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, this is this is what I see out in the wild as well. Funny enough, when we look at the final snapshot on this particular six-month window here as well, we do see a pretty interesting mix here. We do have a lot of pre-con commanders like we noticed on the uh, uh, the previous uh, all-time version. But here we've also got quite a lot of commanders from other sets too. You know, Golos and Yarok and Kaikar are dominating the top spots in the final shot on this particular data set when we're looking at the bar chart races. We've also got Eurekos and Atraxas and Windgraces and stuff like that. But we do have a good mix of commanders from different types of sets and not just commander precons. But what does stand out to me is that within this particular final set, the final slide that we're seeing, a whole lot of these commanders came from 2019 or 2018. They're all very recent. The final slide in particular shows us that the overwhelming majority of commanders came from 2019 and 2018. And I think only, let's see, yeah, only Edgar Markov and Kess Dissident Mage are standing out as commanders that did not come from either 2018 or 2019. And they came out in 2017. But seriously, a whole lot of the uh, Yarok, Kaikar, Moldrotha, Eureka, Atraxa, Oh, no, Atraxa came out in 2016. All right, that is a, uh, a thing that I forgot to notice. But Atraxa, I guess, is the exception that proves the rule. These are all very recent is what I'm trying to say. You've got Feather, you've got Corvold, you've got Urza. A lot of the stuff that we're seeing here within this six-month window is showing us that recency has a lot to do with it. And I don't know if it's necessarily recency so much as maybe power levels within the past years. I guess that's just something that I wanted to mention is that like these commanders were printed very recently, and I want to get your guys' take on why that might be. I think power level is definitely a good argument and a good reason to believe why these are so powerful. You talk to anybody who plays any any format other than Commander, 2019 has kind of been a wild year power level wise, so it's no surprise that this is creeping over into Commander. One thing that I really like is that if you look at the all-time list, there, like we noticed, there's a ton of pre-con commanders. If you look at their snapshot for the past six months ending today, it's actually pretty spread out. It's pretty even, which is to me is very encouraging too because they're able to design cards for standard, for modern, but also keep some commanders that are, are pretty powerful themselves while not you know ruining the standard environment that they're trying to keep. You know, Yarok isn't doing anything busted. Golos did something busted for a little bit, but Field of the Dead was the, the problem there. But even then, <laughs> you have you have Feather, you have all sorts of cool stuff going on there that I. I, I it's it's cool to see because you I don't think you would have seen these types of commanders in regular sets five years ago. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. 
I think it also tends to be a bit of a feedback loop. Someone shows up at your shop with one of the popular commanders. You know, you're much more likely to see something that's popular. Someone comes in with their with their Marin deck or their Atraxa deck. It's popular, so you're going to see it. It's probably pretty strong. It's going to then leave an impression on you and perhaps make you want to go build that deck versus someone shows up with their Linden, the Steadfast Queen deck. Well, you're probably not going to see that in the first place. But if you do, <laughs> what impression is that going to make on you to make you go build a Linden, Steadfast Queen deck? Probably, probably not going to do that at all. It's people playing so, against yeah. you, Dana. You're the only person who's going to show right. up playing that deck. <laughs> challenge accepted. No, no, not even me will accept that challenge. <laughs> um, but but I do. I, I think there's there's an element of kind of a, a self-fulfilling prophecy here. A popular commander that's strong is going to kind of advertise for itself and make other people want to build that that powerful, strong commander. I think, too, another really important takeaway for me here is that this particular, you know, viewing uh, doesn't discourage me, I guess. Maybe discourage is the improper word. But looking at the previous one we were measuring from all time, you know, I look at any commander that comes out is not going to hold a candle to Atraxa and to Brea and all of the people that were, you know, inhabiting the top spots, the Marins and everything like that. Whereas looking at just within the six-month window, there are a lot of commanders that can actually make their way into this particular sphere. Any commander potentially could. I mean, there are some Linden Steadfast Queen versions of legendary creatures, of course. <laughs> but, like, when you're just measuring within a shorter time frame, then you actually do get to see commanders a, a bit more representative of what people are actually playing, like you mentioned earlier, Matt. So I, I do like using a shorter lens for exactly that reason, because I get to see what things may actually look like by using a, a smaller uh, time frame window, because I'm not just looking like, oh, you know, there are 7,000 attracted acts. This is absolutely crazy making. You actually get to see what people are, are, are honestly building by using a, a smaller window like that. And that's just is really the main takeaway for me here is that this smaller window can be much more revelatory, even though it's technically excluding information. I don't think excluding the information is necessarily bad. It's just showing the more recent information, the, the stuff that's applying today versus what was being applied a couple years ago. You know, it's, it's not to disregard history. It's just to keep an eye on what's actually happening in the here and now. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of here and now, do you think you guys are ready for the next one? The next one, as in the one that's only looking at one month, so sliding scale, exact same as it was with the six month, except a much, much smaller window. We're only looking at a specific date for that given month leading up to it. Before I get started on this one, I personally recommend watching here for colors in this data set rather than studying any individual commander. This one month window is just frenetic and fast, but each set's commanders all share the same color. So you may glean more information by viewing from that perspective rather than trying to focus on any one particular bar since things are moving around so quickly. Just a personal recommendation. All right, you guys ready? Three, two, one. C-13 and the original Commander product fight over popularity back and forth, led by Olaro. Cons of Tarkir's three-color focus gives us Sadisi and Narset jockeying into position, but by the time we reach the end of 2014, the Commander 2013, Olaro, Nikusar, and Prosh have returned to their number one spots. Then 2014 releases with minimal impact, but Fate Reforged gives a Tassigar and Alesha, who jump up to the top spot before sliding back down. Through most of mid-2015, things will stay the same, with Olaro and Narset in the lead, many precon commanders shuffling themselves about. As we pass through Magic Origins, though, we realize that it's it's not going to be until BFZ's Omnath, Locus of Rage, and especially in Commander 2015 when we know that Marin and Azuri will become the breakout stars of the year. Marin in particular fights her way to the top. The previous precon commanders try to force her back down, but when she gets knocked down, she gets back up again. They're never going to keep her down. When she gets knocked down, she gets back up again. They're never going to keep her down. 
No major changes through Eternal Masters or even through Eldritch Moon. But as we round the turnpike through to Conspiracy Take the Crown, this shoves Queen Marchesa to the top spot, but she coasts back down. Then it is Commander 2016 that throws all sense of decorum out the window and catapults itself into fame, boosting from 100x on average per month to 400 per month. Kaladesh and Either Revolt pass by with minimal change, though eventually we see Marin forcing her way back up into the number three spot, the number two spot. She is earning her fame once again. Hour of Devastation Scarab and Locust Gods rise up, but everything that rises must fall. The fame is short-lived when Commander 2017 shows up with Edgar Markov. Edgar Markov and the C-17 versus Ixalan tribes. Gishas, Kes, Beckett Brass, Kumana fight for the Immortal Sun. Eventually, bizarrely, Animar makes a brief showing at number one in April, but burns out right away. Then, Dominaria appears in 2018, and Moldrotha, Joda, Jorah, Tatiova fill the page. Najila pops in but flies away, and so too does Arcades the Strategist. But then, it is Commander 2018's Planeswalkers, but suddenly they're gone. It is a game of leapfrog, ladies and gents. Before long, we've defaulted to the old hats like Atraxa and Moldrotha. Ravnica's commanders like Tesa Karlov creep up in the ranks, but their rule is swiftly ended. Then, finally, we have the blazing and brilliant and beautiful Feather the Redeemed. And even Niv-Mizzet Reborn, did we ever learn how he died? They soar to the top spots, but like Icarus, they fly too close to the sun. It is Modern Horizons, Core 2020, that fill the page, but a burst of yellow bars blinds us when Commander 2019 shows up. It's a wave of blue and Throne of Eldraine, and the Brawl Commanders, like Chulain, Korvold, and Alila, push them out. We end with Korvold around 400 decks, Gotlos below him at 350, Alila, Kenrith, and Chulain filling out the 300 to 230s, and Yarok and Muldrotha in the low 200. Hundreds. Oh, boys, you remember that word I couldn't pronounce earlier? Volatility? That definitely <laughs> describes what we just witnessed. A hundred percent. There are there are a lot more kind of radical impulse control issue <laughs> things going on in this list where someone's like, we're all just going to build Arcades and then forget about Arcades <laughs> three weeks later. I There's mean, a I, lot of those that show up. I felt like I was at a Skrillex show with all the lights going around and just <laughs> flashes on and off. It was, uh, I, if you're watching this, I would strongly encourage you guys to, to go over to YouTube so that way you can use the pause button as this is going through. Yeah. <laughs> strongly you recommend. Get stuff, you get stuff like Kumena just like exploding onto the list to like number two or three and then disappearing never to be seen again two seconds later. And and that doesn't mean that people took apart those decks. It just means right. that those commanders, people weren't building them all of a sudden. During that window when it was released, a bunch of people burst out of the gates and built that deck. And then nobody else built it after that, that brief window because, number one, the amount of sets we have coming out right. happens much more rapidly now. So it's, you know, people move on to the next thing much quicker than they used to. So that's really, so Matt, you, you described this as being at a Skrillex concert because it's very explosive and there's a bunch of stuff happening, which definitely accurate. But honestly, the sensation that I get while watching this particular version, the uh, top commanders within a one month period, is much more like I'm watching a very rapid, but still much more like I'm watching an ocean. I'm watching the tide go in and out. A new set comes out and then something ebbs and flows. Like one to three commanders from that set seize popularity and rise all the way to the top and then it defaults back down eventually and you see some of the all-time greats uh, sort of poke back up over the crest of those waves. You see Atraxes constantly, you know, surfing on those waves. But as every set comes up, you see a bunch of commanders rise and then fall. A bunch of commanders rise and then fall. And that's really the sensation that I get. You get some sets like like C16, the, you know, the Atraxas and the Breas, they all stuck around for about a solid year before they went down, but you do get this sense of rising popularity and falling popularity as every set passes. Yeah, once the 
four color commanders come out, there's a decent amount of time where it's only pre-con commanders. We talk about how in the six month window, you get a much better mix, man, there, there's just a dearth of, of good commanders coming out in sets that aren't pre-cons. Man, it, it, the chart just kind of gets dominated for a little while of all these four color commanders. Even like Vile Smasher has a pretty good stay towards the top. Well, and I think part of that too, it's, it's not even just the pre-con commanders. You see a lot of action from the cards that are not the face commanders in the sets, particularly in those early years. And I think part of that is they weren't designing legends in standard with commander in mind like they are today. Whereas today you'll get cards like Moldrotha that are clearly designed with commander in mind um, that make a much bigger splash. And I think in those early days on this list, you're seeing a lot less of that because when that commander product comes out, everyone was just building one of those, you know, nine or 12, whatever it would be, brand new commanders that were in those precons. Yeah, I also think so. Another thing that sort of stands out to me is like noting the sets in particular that are able to bring multiple commanders into this top sphere, because this is where we actually get to see it. Most sets are only bringing about one commander per set, maybe two up to about three to the forefront of people's, you know, brewing minds. You get like the Gishaths and the Kamenas, uh, but then they fall off very quickly. But then there are some sets like particularly the ones in 2019 that show the greatest number of total commanders breaking into these top spots before. Before things fall back down, you know, like Modern Horizons Core 2020 Throne of Eldraine within the final slide that we can see here, they are all dominating those top spots. You've got Corvold, Alila, Kenrith, and Tulane, and Sir Gwyn all within the final slide. Like that's really impressive compared to like basically only Feather from War of the Spark was able to make her way in from that set into a top commander spot on this particular time window. That's really, really interesting for sure is to see that I, I think that does reinforce that idea of the power levels uh, being very important in the year 2019 and all of the sets designed there because we see more commanders showing up in the top spots, even if it is for a brief time. We see more of them showing up here than we did where other sets just had one or two commanders that were able to uh, go into the top spots for a short time. I think the one real interesting aberration you see here as well um, is when you see on this bar graph a bunch of one color show up, it's almost always because a precon came and all of a sudden there's a spike of people building those, you know, six or eight or ten commanders. The exception being Dominaria, where all of a mm. sudden you have people building a ton of Dominaria commanders. Now, number one, there's a ton of them that were released. There was, you know, 30 plus legends in that set. But again, that was at the point in time when they were designing with commander in mind. There's a lot of strong commanders. There's a lot of commanders. And there are a lot of ones that are good in our format, despite being in standard. So that's really interesting where you see that spike that Dominaria looks like the same thing you see when a set of precons is released. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a, a good recommendation for those sets and their impact on the commander format, for sure. I, I, I do also kind of want to go back to, I guess, the wave uh, metaphor, the ocean, the tide, the ebb and flow that I had mentioned earlier, because it isn't just commanders themselves rising up and then falling back down, but also the numbers that we see. We have sort of an average, you know, around the 100 to 200 or so of decks pretty persistently being built, whether a set has been released or not. But every time that a new set is released, we get stuff that eclipses up to like the 400s and then falls back down to the 200s. And the new set comes out and it's like up to the 400 and then it goes it falls back down so you can like literally watch as sets are released as the numbers of decks all spike as people rush to go and build and then they fall off and it's just sort of an interesting testament to people's attention spans maybe or just maybe i guess i would say their excitement to, to build as soon as possible when these new things come out people are clearly clamoring to get their hands on these brand new cards because of how exciting they are which is really heartening to be able to witness in this way and it's also weird just kind of on that note 
it's almost seasonal too. You watch kind of the, the January to April, kind of those winter months, maybe early spring. The numbers kind of go down every year. And that might be why maybe there's only one commander from Guilds of Ravnica or Ravnica Legions and War of the Spark. You know, there's one that jumps out, but then the rest kind of fade away because people just building aren't building as many decks during that time. It, it's it's weird. You hear I hear a lot of people talk about when they sell cards, they sell a lot in the summertime, but in the winter months, it's kind of dies down just a little bit because it's not really for commander anymore but then you get to the pre-con season you get to the corset season where everything is a little more targeted towards commander players and those numbers jump back up again yeah all right any other final observations that we have for the one month window bar chart races one thing i will say that is kind of interesting to me is um you know despite the fact that there's only about a one month gap between commander 2019 coming out and the brawl decks coming out once you get to the very end of this chart, there aren't any Commander 2019 decks being built that are showing up on that list. And there are one, two, three, four, five, uh, excuse me, four commanders from the Brawl decks that are showing up. Now, they are slightly newer than the Commander precons, but only about a month. And they are absolutely dominating the Commander precon commanders on these charts by the time we get to the end. Yeah. Yeah, definitely true. There's there's so much to witness here. And frankly, the observations that we're able to make about these are still kind of minimal. We need a lot of eyes on this because yeah. there is so much action happening. And we wanted to provide this as soon as possible to listeners uh, because it is such a cool thing to see. But there's a lot more that we have to be able to glean from that. And this is a good time to mention, too, that these are not the only three uh, data flourishes, the bar chart races that we have access to. We actually do have a few others that folks can check out in the show notes. We might be able to play another one here while we're still talking for for example, another one is data that we've lost, cards uh, and commanders that have sort of decayed a little bit, you know, deck lists that disappeared when people decided that actually they're going to delete this Moldrotha deck, or actually I'm not going to, I'm going to change this Corval deck into a Crush deck or, or stuff like that. So we can also run a report on that one. Usually though, what we're seeing with these particular types of uh, reports, when we see the data that we have lost from EDHREC, we're actually seeing that it lines up almost exactly with the commanders that are the most popular. We see the most loss of Atraxodex. We see the most loss of Muldrothodex. We see the most loss of Marindex. It's very consistent with the other bar chart races that we're seeing that the commanders that are the most popular are also the ones that we lose the most information on over time. It's not a ton of information. You know, it's only going to be, um, you know, within the 10s to up to the 50s or something like that, which is pretty rare that we lose too much information from folks changing their decks around. But it does happen occasionally here. And it's interesting to see that it definitely matches up with popularity. We're not losing a lot of information uh, from things that are not super popular, which is just kind of a funny thing to notice. Yeah, it's also interesting to point out too, it's as much as we we do lose some information, very rarely is that is that not replaced by new information to, to step in right. and, and kind of fill that gap too. So yes, there's a lot of Atraxodex out there. We lose a lot of Atraxodex, but people still keep replacing Atraxodex. I can't just get over how pesky Atrax is in the minds of all the players <laughs> out there. Just won't ever go away. I guess it, like looking over all of this, I want to leave off with some overall impressions and also kind of postulate like we've just looked at data from the history, but also kind of wonder where you guys think things are are headed when you look at the monthly top commanders and you see that the uh, the 2019 stuff is is really prominent right now. Do you think that that's just a moment in this particular year or do you think that it might actually fall off as new things come out when we get to 2020? When you see the stuff from all time, do you think that things might be able to break into there or do these seem like steadfast rules? Because this is just kind of interesting. What are some final impressions that you guys have when looking at this visualization of all of this data? 
Boy, I, I hope the all-time list change a little bit because seeing all those four-color decks out there, man, it's it's crazy. But I, <laughs> I, I am encouraged, like I keep pointing out this episode, the fact that some of the, the inset commanders that we keep getting in the regular standard releases, they are getting better and better. So hopefully we see more more powerful commanders come out recently. I don't think that they're ever going to break into those all-time lists because more than ever, there's just a bunch of competition for what is going to keep people's, you know, deck boxes full. Uh, There's never been more competition. So yes, people are still building Atraxa decks, but man, it's going to take so much attention. It's going to take such a broken commander, which probably might even get banned because it's going to have to be that good to do basically what Atraxa did. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's a hot take. Dana, any impressions from you? Um, I'm trying to think how to phrase, how to phrase this. Um, you know, every every year one or two commanders come along that, that I myself personally find to be very unfun to play against. Years ago, Narset would have been an example. Um, I don't generally enjoy playing against Gitrog. You know, those are both strong commanders that are... I guess interactive in that the person playing them does a lot of things, but oftentimes it's very difficult for you to do anything and the person winds up kind of goldfishing. And those commanders that I personally don't enjoy playing against tend to fall off the list very quickly. You know, one of the ones this year I didn't really enjoy playing against most of the time was Andre Falconrath. She was very goldfishy as well, and you know, she disappeared off the list after a brief burst in popularity i don't enjoy corvald very much right now and although it's popular i'm curious if that trend continues where other people seem to um stop playing those goldfish commanders as time passes as well so that's something that at least the things i don't like for whatever reason seem to fall off popularity scale and i'm wondering if that trend continues yeah, and it does force you to look at the commanders here that do have some of the most interesting stories. Olero, Marin, Atraxa, and Muldrotha in particular seem to maintain quite a lot of interest, quite a lot of sustainability over there compared to some of the ones that you mentioned are also falling off. And whether you enjoy playing against them or whether you don't, I mean, there are plenty of commanders that people do or do not enjoy playing yes. against uh, all over the map. And for some people, Marin might be that commander, but Marin certainly sure. maintained uh, some of that persistence uh, compared to some of the other ones that you just mentioned. So it's really fascinating to, to see those things for sure I think for me also just I want to reiterate how much how, how impactful it is that the scope that you use to measure data how extraordinarily important that is you know all time popularity showed us Atraxa's complete dominance at nearly two times more decks than any other legendary creature and eventually her falling off in 2019 and being largely replaced by legends from Dominaria and Core 2020 and Brawl Commanders and Throne of Eldraine is something that we can see when we limit our scope and see that maybe she's not being as built as some of the other stuff that is also beginning to edge its way into the spotlight. When you look at only monthly popularity, you might not realize that Marin never actually overtook Olero as the number one commander. She was about to, but then Atraxa showed up. And so you might miss those things if your scope is too small. That's another thing that I want to mention there too. So it is really fascinating stuff. We hope, listeners, that you're able to look over all of it, uh, maybe even watch multiple of them at the same time if you can, because you'll be able to see the way uh, that these things interact with each other. It is fascinating stuff. Much, much thank you to much thank you. That's a sentence. Many thanks to uh, Nate for putting these things together. They are fascinating. We hope to get more uh, information out. And this is just a new way to view that data, which makes it really, really fun to be able to to witness and try and unpack. There is a lot going on here for sure. So we definitely want to see what your observations are about this data too, because it is really fascinating stuff to look at EDHREC historically through different lenses. 
Whew, with all that pontificating out of the way, I think that it's time we close up the show with a really traditional segment, and that is challenging some stats. There's a lot of data here on Trek, but we don't always agree that it's 100% correct. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too much play. Sometimes we think that cards are seeing too little play. So let's challenge those numbers now. Matt, do you want to start us off? I sure can. So my card comes to us from Modern Horizons. It is showing up only in 519 decks currently. Not too many at all coming in Moldrotha decks where I think it's going to be especially handy. But my card is Winding Way. It is one in a green, and it's a sorcery that reads, choose creature or land, reveal the top four cards of your library, put all cards of the chosen type revealed this way into your hand and the rest into your graveyard. I think it's just a great self-mill card, replaces itself, gets you something that you're probably going to be looking for anyways. And more often than not, if you're playing a Moldrotha deck, you want stuff in your graveyard anyways. You're just going to replay it a couple turns later. So if you need help finding a land, this is going to help do that. It's going to fill your graveyard. It's just another one of those, you know, kind of grizzly salvage, fill your graveyard, filtering types of effects that I think is getting a little underloved. The current top commanders, yeah, they they probably are going to take good advantage of it. But Moldrotha especially, I think, sure, it's not repeatable with Moldrotha, but it's just a quick little burst, something you can do early in the turn. Make sure you're hitting all your land drops. It does a pretty pretty good job at all those different roles. There are a lot of cards in that particular sphere. Grizzly Salvage, Frantic Search, uh, what's the other one? Forbidden Alchemy. There's a lot of cards that can do that to yes. fill the yard. But I do like the philosophy that you have there. Like Muldrotha is definitely a commander that hammers in the idea of consistency and constantly getting, you know, different permanents back that you can use. But having small spells that, you know, give you a quick boost can actually be a really important lesson to take away for a commander that's that grindy. Yeah, Seder Wayfinder is is a very, very highly played card in Muldrotha decks. This is basically just a spell version of that. Yeah, interesting stuff. Dana, how about your challenge? My challenge is an old enchantment from Visions, City of Solitude. It is... <laughs> You're a jerk. This is mean. <laughs> You're talking about com- uh, cards that you don't like playing against. This is one of them on my list. Come on. If you're playing fair magic, it doesn't stop anything. <laughs> that's not, that a, that's not, that's that not true a, at all. A thin lens that you're using to describe fair magic. How dare you? All right. What so, is this card? So City of Solitude is uh, an enchantment that says that each player may play spells and abilities only during his or her turn. Now, it's each player. So this also affects you. So there's a shred of fairness there. This card is only in 682 decks and... Where it really should see more play is either in a Voltron-type deck, particularly an Enchantress deck, because it also draws you a card when you play it in an Enchantress list. But, you know, even if you're playing something like Prosh, where your goal is to one-shot somebody, um, in most of those Voltron decks and most of those one-shot decks, your biggest fear is somebody casting an Aetherize mid-swing or someone casting Settle the Wreckage. Basically, a non-targeted mass bounce is a huge problem for you when you're going to kill somebody. And... If you're not playing blue, which most of those Voltron commanders aren't, you really can't stop that. City of Solitude stops that. It's it, it, it. Why does it also restrict my abilities? That's what I need to know. It restricts <laughs> abilities too, not just the spells. Abilities, yes. It restricts everything. I can't even regenerate my stuff when you try to Wrath of God it. Like, that's so... Correct. Well, I guess you can't regenerate anything with the Wrath of God, but my point still stands. You're stopping it, it, my abilities. <laughs> your day of judgment. There you go. I, I, think it, it's, it is a, I think it's funny that Joey accused me of being a stasis type of person, but this is what Dana's bringing to the table, and this is equally <laughs> as mean. I'll say there's a lot... I, I wouldn't run it in a lot of decks, but I absolutely run it in my Sigarda Enchantress deck, and if I was playing any kind of Voltron deck that had access to it, I would absolutely run this just to avoid that settle the wreckage that just ruins your day. 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned a three mana card that prevents people from doing things because that is also going to be the a good descriptor for my challenge this week. I am actually really surprised at myself that I haven't mentioned this one before. This is the card Peacekeeper. Do you guys know what this <laughs> annoying white creature is? I can I picture w- the art on Peacekeeper, I but I can't remember what it does. I have played this many a times in my Aluren Legacy deck. I, I had never had any way to deal with a true name nemesis, but this was perfect. So Peacekeeper is a three mana one one that says during your upkeep, you have to pay one and a white or else you have to sacrifice the Peacekeeper, which no, that's not really great. But here's the thing. It says creatures cannot attack. Like, period. Full stop. Creatures cannot attack. You can't attack. Other people can't attack. People can't attack each other. Like, just combat's gone. The combat phase disappears. And the reason that I think this is underplayed is, first of all, it's only showing up in 569 decks total, which is very much lower than I expected it to be. But what I think is interesting here isn't just like, oh, if you're playing a defensive deck, this could be good. Like, there, there are problems, you know, with that. If you're playing too defensive, maybe there are other defensive decks like Spellslinger decks that don't care about combat that might also benefit from a command, uh, from a creature like this. So I, I get that piece of it. But but here's the piece of the Peacekeeper that I think is most important is its use in Planeswalker decks. Your Planeswalkers being attacked is a huge risk and if you want to make sure that they're defended, you don't just have to hide behind a single Atraxa. You could also hide behind a Peacekeeper if your Atraxa goes away. There are over 1,200 specifically Planeswalker-themed Atraxa decks on Trek at the current moment. Peacekeeper should be in a whole bunch of those because this is another great way to make sure that your Planeswalkers will reach their ultimate because no one can touch them. Yeah, that's uh, that seems like a... The, the kind of card that you wouldn't pick for your challenge of stats if you're chastising somebody for <laughs> City of Solitude. Well, let me put it this way, Dana. Are you playing Peacekeeper in your mono white Super Friends deck? Uh, I, I am not. I am Yet. not, but I'm thinking about it now. <laughs> That's right. That's it, right. It, it you is are, also worth it's mentioning. It's a really annoying card. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this card did get expensive for a little while. It's still like an $8 card, but yeah, it, it it's so good. I, I do enjoy Peacekeeper. If, if you are looking for ways to be super defensive, this is a really excellent white card that people should not sleep on if they want to try and find a way to maintain card advantage. Well, making sure that your Planeswalkers can't be killed in combat, really excellent way to shut down all those other Xenagos players and all those Saskia players and all those other people who like to punch you and your Planeswalkers. This is an excellent way to prevent them from doing that. So I really like this card. I say I like this card whenever I see it across the table from me. I, I also have similar reactions to City of Solitude as I do to Peacekeeper, but that's how effective it is. So it's a really cool card that people <laughs> should definitely uh definitely check out all right folks any other final observations that you want to make about this particular uh the bar chart races that we were looking at the different lenses that we used to look at the data here any other final thoughts that you want to uh, leave off with before we close out our show i'm I'm not other than just to say i would really recommend once again going to youtube to watch this video it's really quite a fascinating thing to see with your own eyes yeah, it, just the way to process it, to comprehend it, it. There's a lot of visual information that we're we're trying to describe to everyone, but man, it's seeing is believing in this case. <laughs> I absolutely agree. You're gonna want to see this for sure. But with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-host so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. 
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter and keep your eyes peeled for Commander Ad Populum's part two episode, the second interview uh, with me on there. It was a really great time with Ryan from CCO. That will show up in the next week. Special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes, and if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This podcast is posted every week on EDHREC's community content spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>